0: Hello everyone, this is Jacob Popio, the producer of The Apex, In this episode, Jan interviews Gary Serac. In this interview, Gary paints a picture of his early childhood, selling enough mints to pay for summer camp without talking, and the values his family instilled in him that still act as his moral compass today. You'll also get some practical financial advice from the man himself, so stay tuned if you want to know some of Gary's tips and tricks for navigating the pandemic economy. Gary has a new book coming soon. Want updates? Check out his website here at garyserac.com. If you want to support us, there are three ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash podcast. Second, visit our merch line that is proudly partnered with Envision Clothing Company at envisionclothingcompany.com. The final one is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from this episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your apex.
1: Welcome, Apex Chasers, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John Almasy, and unfortunately, because of, you know, all the circumstances that are surrounding the planet, I'm not seated across from anybody today. I'm feeling a little bit alone in the studio, but the good news is, is that I have a fantastic individual on the other end of a phone line yes because we do have those capabilities Um, That is going to provide a lot of value today specifically surrounding if your money could talk what you know there are so many things within that statement that i am excited to dive into today with our guest mr gary serac welcome to the show my friend thank you pleasure to be here you having a good day so far (laughs)
2: <laughs> so far it's going to get better now i can tell you that
1: but, good i'm um, i'm good to go i'm always i'm always in for a great conversation so um gary you know out of all the things that we've done on on our show here at the apex podcast you know we really try to center ourselves around that ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things so what i'm really curious about um is to start where did you grow up and what first got you interested in what you do I
2: grew up in 37th Street in Canton, Ohio, and we basically lived in a a home that was built for maybe three people. There were six of us, so it was uh, close quarters, and I really didn't get in. Invest- I, I kind of always liked to save money. It's just something I did, and it, it started in a really strange way. My parents bought me a bank, and it was one of these banks where if you put a nickel in, a dime, or a quarter, you could pull a lever, and it looked like a cash register. And once you reach $10, it would open up, and you could actually go in and get the money out. And that bank really intrigued me. I don't know why, but it was read, and I remember it very well. And what was interesting is that the way we got started putting money in the bank is my parents had me read a book. And for every book I read, I got five cents. And in the days, they had the bookmobile would come around our neighborhood, and I would go and get five books. And so every week, I was making a quarter a week, which doesn't sound like much, but we're also talking in the fifties, so that right. was a That's long time said. ago. By the way, still not a whole lot, but it was. It's how I got started, and and that was really the beginning of me ever saving money and, and having any interest in money whatsoever. Was putting those dimes, nickels, and quarters into that red bank.
1: Now, now something around, you know around that um, that area, you know, the first time that you really remember saving money. Or- passionate about that. There was a story that we talked about but um, when, we, when we first kind of met and we first kind of talked over this stuff that I, I really want to hit because I think that it's going to be able to provide a lot of context and value to the, to the listener. And that's um, the stories surrounding the peppermint patties and your door-to-door sales as a kid because nobody would believe, I didn't personally believe, that you were, you know, um, a shy person as you, as you mentioned as a child. Yeah, I was I,
2: I was somewhere past introvert. Um, basically, my best day was when I got to go to the corner of my house, and I would sit down in the corner, and I would basically amuse myself for hours. And I would do that with um, – actually, I had little plastic cowboys and Indians in a blanket, and I would build forts and, and things like that. It was kind of strange, but that's how I spent my time. So what happened is there were three of us, three kids. And my mom decided on Saturdays she could kind of get rid of me. So what we did is she would take me to the bus stop, which was on 36th Street, and I would have money enough to go to the YMCA. And every Saturday I would get on the bus and I'd take my knapsack thing, which was basically my swimming suit and some other stuff. And and she gave me enough money to buy lunch. And I would ride the bus to the YMCA and I would spend the day in the YMCA and get on the bus and ride home at the end of the day on Saturday. And they'd show movies, we'd go swimming, and that's how, that's how my kids' stuff went. Well, one Saturday they had a presentation about Camp Tippecanoe and this really wonderful camp and they had a film about it. and They showed all these kids that were really happy and they were out in this lake and doing things I had never done. So in essence, what happened is I came home with a flyer and I showed my mom that if I was willing to sell these mints, I literally could sell mints and qualify for one week of camp for free. And I came home, showed my mom the flyer. She looked at me and said, "Uh, yeah, that's not really going to happen. And I said, why not? And she said, well, you don't talk to people. How are you going to sell mints when you don't talk? And I said, "No, I I can do this." And she said, "I I really don't think we're going to do this, Gary. I think it's a waste of our time." And I mean, she was busy; she had two other kids, and it just seemed like something that was really impossible in her mind. Yeah, I nagged her so much. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say, and then, and the second half of that is that you definitely blew it out of the water, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, I killed it. So, the, so I nagged her so much. She finally said, "Yeah, let's go." So we went downtown, picked up two boxes of mints—twenty-four boxes. And I came home that day and I put them on my little red wagon. And uh, about two hours later, I came home and they were all gone. And I laid 24 bucks on the table. And my mom looked at me and said, what in the world did you do? And she said, you don't, how did you do this? And I pulled out a piece of paper and it basically I'd written in hand that said, I'm selling mints to go to camp. And. If you'd like to buy a box, they're a dollar each and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I sold 24 boxes.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I
2: sold, yeah, I sold more boxes than anybody in the entire Y camp system. Ended up winning two weeks of camp and got a sweatshirt, a T-shirt, a hat. I mean, everything they could throw at me because no one had ever done that before.
1: Yeah, so you went from, you know, mom saying, oh, there's no way you're going to be able to pull this off to completely killing the entire game.
2: Awesome. Yeah, it was really strange. And I still wasn't talking to anybody. I'd say thank you, but I couldn't get the words out. So it just, you know, I just was very shy. And so I would just hand them the note, they'd read the note and yeah, that's kind of how it went. So,
1: yeah, I have yeah. a, I have a, a, a friend that I, I know that, um, he's a local guy that owns a clothing line and he, he has a similar story, um, surrounding like cross country where his mom was essentially like, oh, you know, you're, you should stick to baseball or football you are know, you're, you're not built for cross country. And he was like, you don't think I can do it, do you? And then he ran cross country for all four years of high school.
2: <laughs> yeah. So. I love that stuff. Yeah. It, just tell me something I can't do. And man, yeah, I want to do it. I mean, it, that you know, that's like tossing something on me and saying, hey, you know, you, you know, they throw things at me and I just take that and, and turn it around and, and make it happen. I mean, I do everything I can in my power to make it happen because, when someone tells me I can't do something, that, that lights a
1: fire. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, um, no, you're, you're, make this transition as a kid, finding out that you're being resourceful, right. That you realize that's, that's a very, you know, resourceful entrepreneurial type of move to make as a kid that knows that they're shy and that they don't necessarily want to speak. So they, they pivot and use a piece of paper instead and get massive results. Um, I'm curious, before we kind of continue the the rest of the storyline and and some of the other things that you've encountered, just as an overarching thing, have you seen that be something that has, that is like a skill that you possess that maybe other people don't as far as your natural ability to see a gap? And even if you don't have the proper skill set or something, you can adapt and overcome and kind of get the task done regardless?
2: Um, Absolutely. I, I, I call it pivoting. And I pivot a lot. I played a lot of basketball as a kid. And one of the things you did in basketball is if you couldn't use one foot, you pivoted and used the other one. And and basically, that's what I did. I learned how to shift gears and, and go a different direction because that's what you had to do. And I've done that my entire life. When, when posed with an issue, my goal was to figure out how, a way around it. You know, what's a workaround that, that's legit, that works, and it, it's positive. And that's really, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I've done that my entire life and for some reason it I see things today I see problems today and and I'm looking at solutions that maybe aren't traditional solutions but they're a way around it that solves the problem and and keeps everybody in the right place so
1: right right I think that that is a that is a um, irreplaceable skill set it's not necessarily something you can teach you can teach a portion of it but I think that that's something that is ingrained and and hardcore either uh, you know Partially, nature gives you the neurons that are capable of making the connections, and then nurture as you're growing up, whether it's out of necessity or survival, or it's the way that your parents kind of raise you, um, that you end up with this ability to see the gap, as I say, you know, to everybody else is focused on the words on the page, and you're trying to see the blank space in between the lines.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent way to describe what I do. I mean, that really is, and I've been doing that my entire life. And and you just hit it right on the head because I think that is, and it is a skill set, and it, not everyone has it. I'm I'm around plenty of people that do things for a living that don't really know how to do what I what I do, and, and I'm pretty sure what you do. So what happens is once you you reach a situation and you look and say, "Boy, that's impossible." And then I sit down and think, "Okay, what if it wasn't impossible? What would I do, and how would that work and how would I craft something that would that would make sense to make it not so impossible right. and I might not solve the whole problem, but I might be able to chip away at it it's It's really interesting
1: when you do that yeah, there's only one way to eat an elephant right right at a time correct and um, exactly i think to to your point with the the not being able to figure out a solution or something like that, I've found it extremely interesting that if you see a solution, uh, sometimes, or you see a problem, sometimes people's like general, um, oh, how do I want to put it? They're, they see the superficial problem, right? And then they don't see, they see the infrastructure that's in place, and they're like, oh, that's just how it is. Um, like, and I use dog food as an example, because somebody, you know, decided that rather than the culture being feed the dog table scraps, let's create nutrition for the dog, but there was no infrastructure behind it. So, Sometimes it's not even solving the problem that you think you need to solve. It's coming up with the technology or coming up with a process to put together infrastructure that will eventually solve the issue that you're actually trying to solve and kind of reverse engineering it, which is what I think, you know, from what I read in these, you know, If Your Money Could Talk and some of the other um, books that we're going to get to here now um, is kind of your approach, your, your reverse engineering um, finances and teaching people you know these these potholes that people tend to step in and then how to avoid them
2: that is exactly what my purpose was in writing that book it it was just my frustration level with people and money is that they kept making the same mistake over and over and over again and and half the time they didn't even realize it or they weren't aware of what they were doing until until it was pointed out to them And, and once it was pointed out they say wow I never realized, you know. I, was, I said it's kind of like Groundhog Day, déjà vu. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You're going to get the same result. Let's let's shift gears a little. Let's just make a slight change and see what happens, and, and then it, let me know.
1: It's amazing too what like just a couple of degrees can change on a path. You know, if you're if you're a, a ship and you're calculating your coordinates and you're leaving a coast and you're you know <laughs> one millionth of a degree off. By the time you get across the Atlantic Ocean, you're in a completely different country than what you anticipated. And I think that people underestimate when you make minor changes. They're always looking for these big fixes, these big solutions. But If you make those minor changes, you know, maybe your money wouldn't talk crap behind your back. Or
2: it wasn't <laughs> yeah, it yeah. wouldn't say bad things in your ear. No, I uh, I agree with you completely. It wouldn't be whispering those nasty notes. No, I uh, I, I feel exactly the same way. And and again, it's not you know people people try and do too much, and and the whole point is not to do too much. It's just to get started and do a little. And right. and if they really focus on that, everything changes. So yeah. I will give you a great example. I had coffee, and I'm a big coffee guy. So one of the things. I like to do every morning is stop somewhere and pick up a mocha and I'm addicted to those guys I guess if you're going to be addicted to something that's a pretty good addiction so I uh, I get my mochas at about four or five different coffee shops well yesterday I met a friend of mine at one and we were sitting there chatting and and he said I got to tell you something uh, and I haven't mentioned it to you, and I said okay and he said you know your book if your money talks I said sure, he said I have to tell you what I've been doing, and I never mentioned it, and and we've been together many times. And I said, what are you doing, John? He said, Gary said I started doing what you told me to do. And I said, okay, what part? He said the 10%. He said I started focusing on saving 10%. And he said when I started, I didn't have any money. He said, but I've been saving 10%, and I just made a dedicated move. I just decided I was going to put 10% in the drawer. Whatever I'm doing, he said, I just said that's it. and, and he told me today, he said, I got or yesterday he said, I got like forty grand saved that I would never have had had I not done the ten percent thing.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's And weird.
2: and I looked at him, I said, You got forty thousand dollars you saved? And he said, No, this has been over about three years, but that's still pretty darn impressive. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, no, and that's... for a guy who
2: had no money at all. And and he just he made money, but he always Jan, he always spent everything he made and then a little more.
1: Yep. And that's, that that's happens, people fall into those traps. They they spend what they have and then they realize they have a credit system and then they overspend and then they're, you know, stuck. Um I'm curious, Gary, now I want to talk a little bit about just the history of Surak Financial um in general so that people can kind of get an outline. Um outside of Gary Surak the the author, you know, you do run um financial that is your business. You know, what it, tell, tell us yeah. a little bit about, about that business itself and how it got started. Okay. So my father started in 1957.
2: Basically, he uh, worked for my grandfather who owned a wine distributing company. It went south, uh, not literally, but figuratively. It, it kind of went under. Uh, and when that happened, my father realized he had no job, and he needed to find one, and he ended up selling insurance which was a very tough thing to do. And quite frankly, he didn't sell much insurance to anybody. And for a number of years, uh, literally made very little money. In fact, actually had to sell shoes on the weekends to cover, you know, food, clothing and shelter for us. And in fact, I tell the story and it's not a story. It's true that when I was a kid, I ate a lot of hot dogs, a lot of macaroni and cheese and, uh, and a lot of bacon, lettuce and tomato sandwiches. And by the way, I still like all three of those a lot, but, those were things I grew up on, and, and once in a while, we'd have hamburg or something, but it was pretty rare because we just didn't have money, so those were food items that were cheap. Um, I still like craft a lot, by the way. Anyhow, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but it tastes good. So nonetheless, uh, that was ingrained into me, and, and my father really struggled. Then all of a sudden, my dad, he kept searching for education. He was incredibly bright, and he was uh, had a, like a photographic memory. But he ended up getting educated in the insurance world, and all of a sudden, the world changed. All of a sudden, he started selling policies and building a business. Well, fast forward 63 years, I've been running direct financial services now for about 20, and we have about 15 employees, and we do um, insurance investments, employee benefits, and and helping people figure out money, and that's really what we do, and we're – very successful at it to be candid about it we've we've we have a good reputation we've worked very hard and and things have worked out well i mean it's uh, it's been a good thing but part of it is because of the culture my father brought to the table i mean he ran this thing for years and he he did it the right way and and i've followed in dad's footsteps it's pretty hard to screw that up if you just do what he did which was you know treat people the right way and and be yeah, be good to them and make sure they're the most important person in the room, not you. So
1: yeah, I love I love the um the, the mission statement kind of I guess if you will uh, that your father kind of established. Um, it, it falls really similarly into kind of the mentality that I have that you know if you really want to chase true success, the best way that you can do it is by um, helping other people achieve their dreams. And his was extremely similar. It's you know my job isn't to make as much money as I can; it's to help the other person in room accomplish their goals.
2: yeah and, and i've i watched my father do that in action i i live with you know we were partners for a long time he passed away about 14 years ago but my dad ingrained that into me and 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 it was it was one of those things once i finally understood it you know it just made so much sense and if, if i wasn't thinking about me i was thinking about them it took me a little while i was a slow learner but once I finally understood what he was telling me, it, it was great. In fact, one of the things he said to me one day, I was having a tough day, and he said, you know, Gary said, quit trying to make money and just help people solve problems. Mm-hmm. I said, so how does that make me money? He said, just just trust the system, Gary said. Just quit trying to make money. Just help people solve problems. You'll make more money than you ever dreamed. Mm-hmm. Hard to understand. Hard to. And I mean, it's just counterintuitive. So I'm gonna stop working for money and I'll make more money. Yeah. Right. It you know, it doesn't really make sense except it made all the sense in the world. Right. And it was
1: hundred percent correct. That. Yeah, I know when I talk to um, the, the businesses when I'm doing their marketing consulting or I'm doing, you know, brand strategy or anything like that, it's always, um, you know, if you stop focusing on selling, you're gonna sell. They just kinda of look at me like what? Like, listen, you know, in, in the in the landscape that's out there currently, sixty to eighty percent of your buying is made online before they ever step foot in your store. They're getting a lot of their your customer base is getting a lot of their resources and a lot of their decision making from their friends on social or you know some type of platform and if you blend in with just ads and nothing but ads you're constantly trying to sell and you're not providing value they're going to ignore you because there's thousands of other ads that are like that but if you're an ad know that's legitimately providing value to people people are going to stop they're going to listen um and that kind of leads me into this this place where i I really think that um there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this um, because of the way that it's titled and knowing that you're a financial counselor um or a financial advisor um if that's the term that that they would be looking for some type of advice so in the current landscape that we're in you know with the coronavirus COVID 19 businesses shutting down personal finances struggling is there anything that's like an overarching piece of advice that you know if somebody is not implementing, it's absolutely something that they should start implementing right now. When it comes <clears> to managing
2: <throat> their money, you know, I this this is
1: the you know obviously
2: for everyone and, and I mean around the world, this is the strangest. This is stranger than anything I've ever encountered by by late years. So th- this is so unique and so bizarre. It, it, it almost defies imagination but here we are and and if you told me you know we would be shut down in the country we'd be shut down in the world and no one would be working and how this would all come out i i just wouldn't even i'd, I'd look at you and ask what sci-fi movie are you watching except we're living this so the fact that we're living it, it it's made me think about this a lot so one of the things i've thought back on and I, I have some real problems with I have some empathy for people who haven't saved any money, and I have some problems with the fact that they haven't saved any money because stuff happens. And and one of the things I really tried to highlight in my book was having an emergency fund is a big deal. It's not an insignificant thing. And and I have clients of mine that will come to me and they say, well, you know, I've got $500. And I look at them and I said, yeah, that's like a week. They say, well, you know, I live hand to mouth and all that stuff. They say, no, you don't. You blow money doing things all the time. Right. I said, you, you need to start it. putting money away. Right. Yeah. And and I said, so one of the things I had people really do, Jan, is track what they're spending their money on. And it's fascinating. And people will, will not do it. They, they refuse because they don't really want to know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll never forget. I had a lady who waited tables and she, she made a nice living. The viruses really hurt her because... <laughs> You know, now there there's half the number of people in the restaurant. And again, the people are tipping pretty generously, but not enough to overcome what she went through. But one of the things I told her is I said, Listen, you need to write down where your money goes. I said, Every time you spend a dime, write it down. Let's see what you're really spending money on and let's find out what's necessity and what's frivolous. And and I said, So it would be very curious. Well it turns out frivolous was and no offense to Starbucks, but this lady stopped at Starbucks four times in a week. That's yeah, that's quick. Real fast. Oh yeah. And, and and she said, "Well, I really like Star." I said, "Wait a minute." I said, "So you're going to Starbucks?" And I said, "Now, if you're making, you know, you're running full tilt, so what? Twenty bucks a week is nothing for you because you, you know, you make two hundred bucks a night waiting tables." I said, "Well, you're not doing that." Right. She said, "Oh no." She said, "It hasn't happened at all." And I said, "So." You're still spending the same 20 bucks at Starbucks, but you're not making any money right. Yeah, now she said, well, I get a lot of off. pleasure in that. yeah and so the, you know the fireworks are going off all around. <laughs> I say, wait mm-hmm. a minute, this isn't this isn't good. So you know, it wasn't just that. there were some other things. So we, we started talking about it and, and it turns out she has some other habits that are habits that weren't good ones that she spent money on that she didn't need to. So it was a matter of putting those things down on paper, really looking at reality, and saying, this is where my money goes now the the sad part of it is if you don't have those frivolous things and you don't have any money it's that's a problem and I, I've had clients of mine tap their IRAs they tap their 401ks i I've had you know just a bunch of different things happen because they didn't have any savings they had no fallback plans right. and I've always been an emergency
1: fallback guy right now I'm curious for people that are listening to this that may be interested in you know and coming and, and getting um, becoming a client of, of CERAC financial um, what does that process look like if somebody has never interacted with somebody to get financial advice um, what would you tell them to make them comfortable uh, as far as coming in and, and trusting you with with their funds well
2: the first thing is I don't charge fees to consult with people I, I I've learned a long time ago that that's not something and again that came from my father you know I, I don't have an exclusivity you know you have to have X amount of money for me to talk to you. I just I just don't buy that. So I have I have a number of people around me that, that work with me that are financial advisors, and I can set somebody up with somebody for the first time. They can have a conversation. They can help them. It's just more of a conversation than anything, Jan. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I just don't charge fees for that. And a lot of times I'll have people reach out. Because of the book, I've had a number of people come to me who, quite frankly, were really <laughs> screwed up. And I I said, sure, let's, let's talk. And, and I gave them homework. Amazing how few of them would actually do the homework, but some of them would, and then they would come back and and I would help them. And it's really interesting how many of those people have turned their life around financially. And again, it's more just getting some guidance and having someone to talk to. Here's what I, here's the real reason I wrote that book. There are no, when I grew up, there was a lot of education that happened at my dinner table. My, my parents, who didn't have any money at all, talked about money a lot. And it wasn't good conversations, by the way. They weren't fun ones. But I sure learned a lot. And I kept my mouth shut because that was not a place to interact and ask questions. But what I've learned is most people didn't have the privilege of listening to people talk about money, didn't have good role models. Right. Had nothing. And And so what
1: I tried to do is create a book that became somewhat of a role model, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that um, there's a lot of people that that don't even have that, you know, um, dinner time conversation. I mean, the, there's a there's a lot that, that happens, I think, at those dinner tables to your point right there, that is just educational stuff um, that you take with you throughout a lifetime. And having those good role models, like you said, like your your father just it, it's beautiful how, how much he shaped the organization, how much he shaped you, and then how how fervently you've held on to those standards. That that speaks a lot to the organization. Thank you. I
2: very much appreciate that, and, and and that actually means a lot because that's what I've really tried to do. So I'll give you one other interesting thing. I had someone come to see me. They read, they knew about the book, and they came in and said, "Well, I want to copy your book." And I said, "Okay." It, they cost fifteen. You can have it for twenty. So, well, I just want you to give it to me. I said, "Really?" And I thought that was pretty gutsy, anyhow. And I said, "Well, why would I give you my book?" I said, "Well, then I'll read it, and then I'll come back, and we'll do business." And I said, "No." I said, you want my book, you buy my book, because if I give it to you, you'll probably ignore it and think it's got no value. And I said, that just doesn't work for me. And I said, and furthermore, you know, if you're not willing to invest $10, bucks, i am not willing to invest my time in you.
1: Boom. Drop the mic.
2: It, it Oh, yeah. And, and I meant it because, you know, it, it's an investment. I mean, $10 is nothing. And and what you can get out of that $10 book is a lot. Is part oh, of yeah. I'm At least that's what people around the country tell me
1: so. Oh, yeah. No, and and, and putting together value with with people is just, it doesn't have to be, you know, $1,000 courses and all this other kind of stuff that people have online or, you know, these different places that you can go. Sometimes the best value that I've ever gotten is from a $10 book or I paid, it's not even something I paid for. It's something that I found uh, online that is a PDF that an independent person put together because they're passionate about a subject. And now I know a lot more than when I first started. But I think it's interesting said you know I why would I give you the book because then you're gonna ignore it because if it's free you're gonna believe it has no value um, why don't we let's explore that concept a little bit more why do you think that is with people
2: I think people think if they don't pay for it it must not have any value so there's something in the system and it's funny I've had some of the best free advice over coffee and lunch that you could ever get I mean advice that that has turned out to be worth thousands and thousands of dollars to me, just common sense. And, and it might cost me a lunch or it might cost me a cup of coffee somewhere. And, and people are willing to share that. But what I also know is that, you know, I paid a price for that. I bought them lunch, I bought them coffee. And, and again, I, I think there's something perceived if you get it for free, it has no value. It can't be worth anything if you got it for free. Right. Why that is, I, yeah, I, I don't really know. But it's there, and it's in the culture, and it isn't going away.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting. I I, I think about that all the time um, when I'm talking to other entrepreneurs, where I'm trying to help them with marketing or branding and their you know, go to market strategy Is listen, you have to dictate your value. You dictate um, how premium you are, how good your customer service is, how much you focus on the relationships. And one thing I really want to focus on when you you talked about the best piece of advice being the cost of it being cost of a lunch. I want I want to uh, uh, elaborate on that for people and say, you know, it probably wasn't just the cost of the lunch. It was the cost of your time investing in that person, building the friendship, building the relationship to the point where they trusted you enough that when you took them to lunch that one day, they were willing to give you advice that cost that made, you know, thousands of dollars. But that that relational equity that you put into people because they can tell that you care about people that you're putting other than putting them first, you know, that you, you abide by these principles and you're a person of character, that is what builds up over time and then leads to those, you know, a $5 cup of coffee leading to thousands of dollars of advice. Yeah,
2: totally. And, and it's a trust factor, and it's mentorship. You know, I, I find mentorship really interesting. It's critical in my life, my mentors, and, and unfortunately I've lost a bunch of them in the last, you know, three or four years, and and the, there's a mentor of mine who just passed away just recently at 85 years old, and he was brilliant. He, he was just such a smart man, and his name was Don, and I would call Don up and say, Don, what are you doing for lunch today? He said, let me see. I think you're buying, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And so we would find a place to eat, and, and it was a gear I mean, he liked the Desert Inn. We went to the Desert Inn. That's so awesome. you know, we would go wherever, and I said, Don, wherever you want to go, I'm picking up the tab. He said, oh, I know. He said, if you're tapping my brain, you're paying for lunch. I said, okay. And, and Don could buy lunches. Yeah, it, it, he was not hurting for money. So, but he was such a great source of information. He was such a wonderful sounding board, Jan. I, oh, yeah. I could just sit and talk to Don for hours. And and the things he would say. I, I mean, I filled a whole notebook just just on things he said. And I have another friend is the exact same way. Unfortunately, he moved to Atlanta, and and I would sit with him and try. We would. He loved John's bar. So I ate lunch at John's bar. So, you know, it's one of those things where I say, where's your fair place to eat? And they tell me, I said, great, we'll, we'll go there, I'll buy lunch. I bought a hell of a lot of lunch. Be I honest. bet. But, but, man, it was worth it. I was going to say, uh, you probably remember you every single
1: one of them, too. Yeah, sure. I really do. and uh, With a mentor it's just, like it's that, just, it's, just, it's, it's hard to forget.
2: And, and so that's another thing. I find people aren't finding mentors. They're not looking for them. And that's really sad because mentors are so important. I mean, they've helped shape my career. I'm sure you have them in your world because you can't get to
1: where we've gotten to without having help. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, if I would be the most narcissistic, egotistical person to believe that what I'm doing right now is anywhere near, you know, just me. I may, what I tell people is that, um, I happen to have an idea in my kitchen while I was cooking the one day and I was like, you know what? I should start a blog as an outreach. And then it's, Snowballed wildly out of control, and a whole bunch of people way smarter than me latched onto the idea and took it and ran with it, and just kind of puppet me around as the figurehead. <laughs> um, which I'm which is perfectly lovely. okay. With. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. It's. I think Good that stuff. there's nothing. There's nothing more um, satisfying, and, and whether it's you know providing financial advice and, and seeing other people succeed. Um, I found that it's really, really interesting when you have employees and you have this culture and they say, you know, like um, Bahati, he's my director of user experience. Last night, um, we went out to Huth and Harris um, and, and just kind of talked. You know, I just wanted, we just hung out and had a good uh, moment to just kind of learn more about each other. And he posted, he was like, you know, my boss is, you know, super cool. Thanks for this. Thanks for, you know, providing a good night and, and being so transparent and, I now consider him a good friend. And I read that, and I was like, first of all, I was like, it's super weird that you use the word "boss." I don't know if I'm used to that quite yet. Um, but also that taking the time to be human and connect and offer mentorship down the line to the point where he's so passionate about what we're doing and how we do it at Apex, because of he sees the standards that we hold ourselves to and how much we care about the community, that he's on fire. And that's what I really strive for, what I think is beautiful about the way that you approach life um, and, and why I think that we can, you know, we could have conversations for hours, I could feel like, uh, because of the similar Pretty outlook sure. on life and, and yeah. making sure that people are taken care of and they're passionate and they're, you know, achieving their dreams.
2: It just means, so someone said to me, measure success. And I said, well, everybody measures it with money. And I said, you know, that's okay pay up to a point. But then it gets to a point where it's not really ever about money. And, and believe me, I, being in the life insurance business, I am 100% sure that people don't take their money with them. That I know because uh, <laughs> it's still here and I give it to other right. people as their beneficiaries. So I'm pretty sure that's the way that works. And I don't think they're taking their credit cards or their checkbooks, but that's yeah. a whole other story. So when it gets right down to it, yes, money is important. We need that. It, it provides great things and it can be a wonderful tool. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, how many people can I help in my world to make their life better? And and how do I do that? And and how do I shape their life in a way where, so yesterday's a great example. I I had a woman who's 85 years old, lovely lady, and and she's just smart as can be, manages on her own, drives from Canton to Michigan, upper Michigan. She has a cabin, a a cottage up there. Uh, Just a beautiful soul. Love talking to her. And and funky as hell. (laughs) So we we have a great conversation. And she has an estate planning issue. And, and, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I have good common sense. So we talked through it. And and it was a wonderful conversation. Well, that afternoon, I have a couple in who are 48, and they have five children. And he's a doctor, and she's a a mother that takes care of all the kids. And, And the conversation was very different than the one I had with the woman earlier, but also so rewarding because both of them, had issues and when they walked out the door both of them turned to me and said you have no idea how much better this has made me feel I feel like I now have a path I didn't have that when I got here and and, you know if you were allowed to hug me they would have hugged me of course we're not so um, (laughs) so we did the fifth thing but nonetheless it's so rewarding and you know it wasn't about money it was just about helping people do things that they
1: need to do it's it's a very cool feeling yeah it is amazing um so, so, to to wrap the, all of this up into a nice little package, you know first, I'd like to thank you for you know taking the time to come on the show. I, it's been a fantastic conversation. i I love everything about um, you know finding out about guests with the process that we use is is mostly just my years of being in the the international Guard and learning how to creep on people on online. Um I couldn't find a single uh, negative thing, so that's a that's a plus, you know. And uh, uh, so that cool. everybody's that's out there, if you have you know um, financial problems or puzzles that you're trying to piece together, I would definitely chuck my uh, my recommendation in for financial. But if if we can end on this, I find this one line extremely interesting, and uh, it's something that we talked about you know on on our pre-interview kind of thing. That's really kind of just rattled around in my brain since since we talked about it. Um, but I think you know in relations to this book money talked what secrets would it tell uh, the line that was used for the contents of it right says that you offer guidance that is wise practical and infinitely time tested so why don't we just end on you know when the book is coming out and then that statement itself
2: okay so that book is available today and it's on my website at garytirack.com okay um, available and and if you can't find, just call my office and and we'll get you one. <laughs> it's pretty easy. So that's there and and the time tested is you know I watched my father do this. We've been around sixty three years. I've been involved over forty, and and the time tested part comes right from just meeting with so many people, thousands of people, in so many different situations and and having the ability to sit in and watch my father who was a master at what he did and and watch him operate and and how he dissected things and figured out how to solve problems and and then to be able to follow that legacy and do it myself and and observe other people doing it poorly or or well. And it's just a, a, it's just a comfort level. I mean, when people, when people bring me problems, if I don't know the answer, I find someone that does. And and that's part of it. The time tested part is I don't know everything. In fact, I know, mostly I don't know much of anything. But what I do know, I know. And what I don't know, I know how to find someone that does know. And, and just like yesterday, one of the people said, hey, we need to get a mortgage. I said, well, <clears throat> I have lots of mortgage people, but there's only one I'll use. And they looked right. and I said, okay, we'll use the net one. Right. And I said, good. And, and that's kind of how it works. And you just look around and you say, you know, that it, that wisdom and, and that being confident in knowing what you know and, and knowing what you don't know.
1: Yeah. And so so this American Dream Revisited, this is um a book that you just recently wrote off of a conversation overheard at a coffee shop. Right? Yeah. And this yes. one, I really like that title, especially with what's going on with COVID and kind of the rebuilding. I'm calling it like the entrepreneurial renaissance. Um we have a couple of, a couple of minutes here why don't we why don't we talk about that book a little bit as well
2: sure the american dream revisited all happened because i was sitting in a coffee shop called karma coffee and it was early in the morning i was drinking my mocha i was kind of contemplating my week my life i don't know it was just sitting there kind of minding my own business drinking my coffee well four college students come in sit right behind me and they start talking about the American dream, except they weren't talking about the American dream, which, by the way, has always been a passion of mine. They called it the American disaster, and and they just beat up on uh, on this country. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at, and I'm not looking at them. I never did look at them. I just listened, and I kind of edged a little back, and I said, "Hmm, this is interesting." And they were so negative. Three of them were incredibly negative, and it was about job, job market was terrible, and and college mm-hmm. debt was ridiculous, and credit card debt. And, I mean, they were just negative on everything, and I listened, and I thought to myself, wow, that is a terrible way to come out of college, but then one of the guys, the the guy who had not said anything, was talking about, you know, he felt very good about it. He said, you know, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to pay my college loans. Yeah, I'll clean up my debt. He said, I'm going to have a good life. They pounded him verbally (laughs) until he stopped talking, And, and then I got up and walked out with really bad karma. Uh, that really troubled me, that conversation, and about three nights later in the middle of the night, I woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning and decided I'm writing a book, mm. and, and the result of that is the American Dream Revisited, and I went across the country interviewing people via phone. I have interviewed over 25 people across the country, and the way I found them is I asked people like yourself, Jan, who's the most interesting person you ever met who's still living? Mm. And people would tell me, and then I'd say, do you think they'd want to talk to me? And some people say yes, some people say no. I reached out to all these people. I did 25 interviews. And then I whittled it down to 13 because of different reasons. And that's how the book came into being. And they're from people from all over the country, all different walks of life, all different circumstances, and all had one thing in common. They achieved the American dream.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of... um wrap this with with a, a quote um, from uh, David Coleman right who's president of the strategic coach um, but this is what David had to say about the book he says this is this is one outstanding book it is loaded with user-friendly practical sage advice on life business and relationships it's an appropriate read for any age and reminds me of the classics who moved my cheese and the one Minute as may be evident by now, I recommend it highly. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to be adding that to my list. And definitely listeners, um, if you guys have not already been hooked on the fact that Gary not only knows his stuff, um, but is also a very eloquent speaker, imagine that being translated onto a page and being able to consume that at your pace. Um, it's definitely something that I would highly recommend. So, again, Gary... I just wanted to thank you again for popping on the Apex podcast. You truly are an ordinary person that has accomplished extraordinary things, and I look forward to having many more conversations like this in the future.
2: Oh, I would love to do that, Jan. There isn't anything I enjoy literally more than this. I I love talking about, you know, helping
1: people, and that's what you're all about. So you got me hooked. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, man. So um is there a um a website or anything that people can go to if they want to find out more about you? Yeah, if, if you do, <laughs> there's
2: a lot. But if you YouTube me Gary Syrac or you go to in my website com, um uh, yeah, we're we're all over the place and uh we're there. So there's there's info about me. <laughs> Sometimes I just chuckle and say, "Really?"
1: But that's okay. We're good. Good. So if, if, it, if you guys are looking for those links, you know, like he said, it's Gary Surak.com. That's S-I-R-A-K dot com. It'll be in the show description. Um, and until next time, I hope everybody listening to this is having a phenomenal day, no matter what time it is, and that you keep chasing your apex.